Mark chapter 14. Now, I, I probably ought to get my Bible open there too. It'd be a good idea. Now today I'm going to be talking about depression. That's a real exciting topic, isn't it? But the reason I want to talk about it today is because it is rampant among us. And if you are not personally struggling with issues of depression, you know someone who is. And um, I thank God for medical science and psychologists and psychiatrists. I thank God that in his mercy and grace has uh, allowed us to have those technologies and skills. However, in most of the cases of depression, what ends up happening is that we uh, get to a point where we drug somebody. And look, I'm not, I've, I've never and I never will tell someone that you shouldn't uh, take prescribed medication to deal with depression. But it seems to me that there's probably, that's probably not the limit of God's ability to deal with the situation, to deal with the need of a human being going through this very debilitating thing. And so I want for us to take a look at some things that the Bible has to say about this subject. I want to start by um, giving you a, a definition. I, I, first of all, I, I sometimes refer to depression as the secret sorrow because most people who are dealing with depression uh, do their best to hide it. And that kind of actually works against uh, any sort of healing that the Lord could bring. And we'll get to that in a bit. But a good definition of depression is persistent feelings of sadness, apathy, despair, anger, anxiety, emptiness, helplessness, or hopelessness with emphasis on persistent. Look, all of us have a bad day every once in a while. Sometimes we'll say, well, I'm feeling blue. I'm not sure exactly why, but that's what we say. Uh, and so we all know what it's like to, to have, you know, kind of that, that cloak of, of discouragement or sadness or whatever hanging over us. But when it persists, dear one, now we're talking about something different. And um, there are symptoms that I want to give you now. Um, these are well-known and well-established, and I'm sure you've heard them before, but it would be irresponsible of me to talk about the subject of depression and not give you some of the symptoms, uh, clinical symptoms of depression. And not for this reason. I'm not doing this to make you afraid that you, have de that you are depressed, okay? Don't be hy hypochondriac. Uh, be a hypochondriac over this, you know. Um, but if you recognize these things and that a significant uh, number of these symptoms are yours in a persistent way, well then let's, let's find out what God could do about that because it's not his intention that we live like this. Number one, feelings of helplessness and hopelessness, a bleak outlook Nothing will ever get better and there's nothing you can do to improve your situation. Those kinds of feelings, number one. Number two, loss of interest in daily activities. So you have no interest in or ability to enjoy former hobbies, pastimes, or social activities. Number three, appetite or weight changes. And we're talking about significant weight loss or gain. 
uh, and about a change of about 5% of your body weight in a month. So that's a pretty significant change. To watch out for that. Sleep changes, either insomnia where you can't sleep or oversleeping where all you want to do is sleep. And that's also known as hypersomnia. Photo, excuse me, psycho motor agitation or retardation. What that means is either feeling keyed up, you know, just restless, and, or the other side of that, which is you feel sluggish and physically slowed down. Number six, loss of energy, feeling fatigued and physically drained, where even small tasks are exhausting and they take longer than they should. Uh, number seven, self-loathing. Strong feelings of worthlessness or guilt. Harsh criticism of your perceived faults and mistakes. Number eight, concentration problems. Trouble focusing, making decisions, or remembering things. Number nine, irritability, which means easily annoyed or being easily annoyed or frustrated, lashing out in anger or snapping at others. Number 10, aches and pains. These are new or worse physical symptoms including headaches, backaches, diarrhea, constipation, abdominal pain, and aching joints. These are things that, you know, they don't seem to match any other uh, sickness or virus or anything. It's kind of hard to put your finger on what's wrong. Those kinds of things. Take note of those. All of these 10 symptoms that I've given you um, are things to be watching out for if they are in a persistent way affecting your life. Now, look, um, depression can be caused by lots of things. And in the few minutes that I have to spend with you this morning, we are not going to exhaust this subject, that's for sure. Um, and I am only really going to deal with a very thin slice of this big issue. Because there is chemical, chemical caused de uh, depression, meaning that you have an imbalance of certain chemicals in your, either your brain or the rest of your body. There's, so there are physical things that can cause a person to have these symptoms. And they do need to be addressed by a medical doctor. Uh, and there are other things. But I want to deal with the spiritual slice of this pie. Spiritual depression. And I, I define it this way. The collision of dreams with reality. That place where the things that I've imagined my life being like, and we all have this, you know, we can't, as human beings, we can't help but having some anticipation of what our life will be. And, and there's usually a hopefulness that we have about that, uh, at least initially. And we, sometimes we, t we talk about it as our dreams, you know. We, we have this, we, we imagine ourselves there, you know, in that place. And are looking forward, working towards that, hoping that that pans out. When that dream collides with another reality... We are prone, we are primed, we are prepared for an exploitation of the enemy to seize that moment to add all of this stuff that we've just been talking about in terms of depression symptoms to our lives because it keeps us from experiencing God's best for us. It keeps us from experiencing his blessing in our lives. Our adversary is evil personified. And so he wants to exploit every 
condition, everything, every slight little crack where he can get something in there and wedge into your life to ruin you. And when we have those collisions, as, as most often, dear ones, look, it, it's, I'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but in almost every case, my dream of my life's future is going to collide with not just reality in terms of, you know, the stuff that life throws at me, but the reality of what God has for my life. They are almost always two different things. And when that collision happens, I don't want to, and you don't want to, allow the enemy to de- cause us to slip into depression where then we don't live in God's plans for us. We want it to g- propel us into the life God intended for us, and that's what we want to talk about today, how that could happen. I want you to consider, before we read from Mark chapter 14, a couple of verses. One from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, where it says this, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Anxiety means fear. What is that fear about? That what I imagine my life becoming will not. Some of you know what that means. That, you know, that picture of this blissful life of my family that now seems shaken because of the relationship that I'm having with my kid or my spouse. Somehow I'm not going to get to that, that dream that I had hoped for. The career path that I, you know, launched on with such vigor and, and uh, purposefulness seems to have hit a patch that I can't seem to get by and there's this anxiety that rises up in my heart and a fear that I'm not going to realize what I had hoped I would. We could go on and on, but I think you get the point. We have these things that happen that cause us to fear, to have anxiety, to be afraid of how life is going to go. And the Bible says that causes depression. That's not the end of this verse, and I thank God for it, because it goes on to say, but, I always like to have that three-letter word there, but a good word makes it, makes the heart glad. Before we're done today, we're going to look at some good words from God's word that are designed to overcome some of the things that we think about uh, our futures that cause us sometimes to be afraid and, and susceptible to depression. Now, Proverbs 15:13 another passage says this a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance but sorrow of the heart the, uh, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. And it talks about and this is you would understand this when my heart is happy my face shows it my countenance right the my a merry heart makes a, cho- a cheerful countenance. But it goes on and says but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. That word sorrow in uh, the, the Hebrew language, or the word that's translated in our English Bibles as sorrow from the, he- from the Hebrew, is a word that is almost always used in the Bible as sorrow or heaviness or, you know, the burden of things on you. 
But in Jeremiah chapter 44, it's oddly used to, to describe an idol, idolatry. And that's not a mistake. It is a way that that word can be used. I'd like you to consider, I, I pondered that for quite a while. And I'd like you to consider something with me. Could it be that the things that we have dreamed and hoped for have taken a place of, of pedestal-like, idolatry-like in our lives that they shouldn't? Could it be that that dream you have of your future or of your family or of your career or of whatever has become so important to you that is somehow uh, usurped the place of God in your life and it has become an idol, something that you worship, something that gets all of your attention, all of your money, all of your emotion. I think that Proverbs is telling us that when that happens, it's a setup for depression. Because no idol can... Idols are deaf, dumb, and blind. They can do nothing. Anything that we set up as an idol will eventually bring nothing but ruin to us. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. This is the night of Jesus... Uh, betrayal. This is just after the Last Supper. They came to a place which was named Gethsemane. It was a, a uh, like a park, a garden. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John. These were his inner circle. He took them with him a little further. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed then he said to them Jesus is not talking to the father he's talking to his disciples he says to them my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death stay here and watch and he went on a little farther and fell down the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. What that means is that what he knew he was facing in terms of the cross and all of the pain and suffering that went along with that, not to mention that on the cross, as he took our sin upon him, there was something that is indescribable. Nobody can can adequately define of the rending of the fabric of the Godhead in that moment where the son says to the father why have you forsaken me? He was looking forward to that and he was deeply distressed and he told his disciples I'm, my heart is exceedingly my soul is exceedingly sorrowful and he asked the Father, it says, he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Daddy, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Now this happens 
This prayer time happens three times. He returns to his disciples between each of them, finds them asleep. So what we see happen here in a matter of two or three sentences probably took place over a significant period of time. And some of the other gospel writers, they talk about his prayer time and that he sweat or uh, as though he sweat great drops of blood. We don't know if the intensity of his prayer time was such that it actually caused capillaries to burst and blood to flow or if it's a, you know, a way of describing in, you know, in, uh, in uh, graphic language the intensity of the moment. Either way, this was no now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. This was serious business he was conducting with the Father. And he begins the prayer by asking the Father, My Daddy, Abba, you can take this away. Cause this cup to pass from me. But then he gets to the, the thing that we're going to get to today. Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. Let's go back through that and point out some four things that I see here uh, modeled by our Savior that can help us when we're dealing with depression, intense sadness and sorrow, persistent feelings of all that stuff we talked about earlier. Number one, admit it. Jesus said to his disciples, his disciples, he's the master, they're the disciples, but he says to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. You know, about a year and a half ago, my doctor started to say to me, ask me this when I would have my blood work, he would say, Randy, do you have feelings of depression? And I'm like, of course not. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. What do you mean? Of course not. Okay. He was talking about the fact that my thyroid is not producing enough of the thyroid hor hor hormone. And that's one of the symptoms is depression or depression symptoms, you know. And uh, so my blood work would come back and it would be low. And he would ask me. And I wasn't even admitting to myself what was true. And the honest truth is nearly everything on that list we read earlier was true of me. I told you, you may not be going through these things, but you know somebody who is me. And uh, I wouldn't admit it to myself. How could I admit that to myself? I'm a... So then last January, actually before that, Sue had, uh, actually last fall, Sue had uh, made arrangements for us to have an appointment with a, uh, in Los Angeles, Foursquare, our movement has a big uh, Victorian home where pastors in the western part of the United States can go for a week and just hang out there and, you know, uh, enjoy Southern California or while you're there you can have counseling as well if you're going through stuff and there was a pastor friend of ours who who lives there most of the year and offers this kind of counseling it's very specific and it's very very intense it's two 12-hour days if you can imagine that and Sue wanted for us to uh, kind of compare notes to be able to learn his process because we do awfully uh, an awful lot of pastoral counseling and care 
inner healing stuff. And so we wanted to kind of figure out what he does and how he does it. So that's why she set it up. Can I tell you, I did not want to go. <laughs> I had such low expectations of what these days were going to be. You know, I was, it was a very busy season of my life. We were dealing with stuff. Uh, and, <clears throat> and just the idea of sitting there for 12 hours, two days in a row with this, I just, anyway, wasn't looking forward to it. But the Lord ordered that for me. It was really, really good. And part of what was going on in that, those times was me admitting to myself and to somebody else, I'm not in the best of shape right now. And then after, and so there was a lot of spiritual health and wholeness that came to me, continues to be coming to me uh, since the first of the year as a result of that. But when I got home, I also admitted to my doctor. I said, you know what? Uh, you ought to probably put me on that medication. <laughs> um, and so I've been addressing it from both angles. But... The, I definitely have a physiological problem. My thyroid is not producing enough of that thyroid uh, hormone. But that is not sufficient. And I am so grateful that the Lord is able to do much more than that. And he can for you too. But it begins with admitting that there's a need. There's a need. Listen, the Son of God said to his followers, I, I'm struggling here. I am in serious sorrow. If he can admit something like that, we can to one another as well, without shame. And that's, don't get me started on that, but that's where the enemy keeps us locked up is when we're afraid to, uh, when we're stuck in that shame um, prison. Uh, we can't reach out for God's help. Admit it. Number two, seek help. Jesus said to his disciples, he said to them, wait with me, pray with me, watch with me. You know, we, dear ones, we have a, uh, an opportunity to serve Jesus in one another's lives in so many ways, but this is one of them. When we have someone in our circle of influence, we know, either because we can sense it or because they've admitted to it that they're struggling with some form of depression. We have the opportunity to, to walk with them through it. That doesn't mean we're going to have all the answers. It doesn't mean we're going to slap our hand on their forehead and pray for them and they're going to be great. It means that we're going to watch and pray. We're going to walk with them through it. But God's going to do something good because He is faithful. Seek help. Pray through it. I can't overemphasize this enough. And this is where people miss so much of what God could offer. Jesus intensely went after God. And he talked to the Father about, about this collision. And look, Jesus was God and man. He was 100% man, 100% God. I don't know how to explain that. And so there are things that happen in the course of his uh, life that, uh, you know, they, they, they just break uh, human conceptions. But there is clearly here him 
crying out to the Father about a collision between two sets of realities, two sets of desires. I want this, and you want that. How do we reconcile this? And he wrestles with God through this. Dear one, when you find yourself in that collision of your dreams and your realities, it does nothing of value to go off and spiritually pout. It does nothing healthy for you to give place to the spirit of self-pity. All that will do, will that, the spirit of self-pity will just give you permission to do whatever you need to uh, make yourself feel better. That leads to self-medication and, oh man, we're off to the races there in a bad way. No, let's go to him. Let's go to God. Let's go to our Father in heaven. And even if we have to sweat blood, let's wrestle that through with him. Because that brings us to the place where we can surrender our dreams for his plans. Now, it's not easy. Why? We hold on to these things, these dreams that we have, these desires that we have with such intensity because we think that if God is going to have another reality for us, it won't be as good. If I let go of this, then I'll just be settling for, you know, whatever God's going to do. Does that make sense? I mean, really, on the face of it, does that make sense? No, but we all get it. We all understand that. And that fear, remember? Fear in the heart causes depression. That fear that what God would have for me, his plans for my life, his desires for me, would be less than, you know, what I would orchestrate. That keeps us from this point of surrender that is so, so, so important. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we read this last week. It says, looking unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Something happened here where he grabbed hold, let go of his, what he had been holding on to in terms of his desired end and got a hold of what God had and found joy there. He didn't settle. It wasn't less than. It was more than, infinitely more than. If Jesus had walked away at this point, and he could have, none of us would be here. None of us would know the forgiveness and grace of God that we all cherish here today. This is the hope for eternal life. But because of the joy that captured his heart, he went to the cross. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. <laughs> Look, 
the best dream you've cooked up for yourself can't even begin to compare with what God has for you. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. And then I'm going to conclude with a very familiar verse before I put it up there. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you are, wouldn't even by me giving you the reference know which verse it is. And then before, the reason I want to stop right here before I put it up there is because I want to debunk something. <laughs> there's kind of, there's a group of believers out there. I don't know where they, I mean, it's not like they have a, you know, a, an office somewhere or, you know, <laughs> but there's a, a trend kind of in the body of Christ about this verse that somehow it's not appropriate for us to claim for ourselves. Um, can I tell you that, I, I, well, I get where they're coming from, but I don't agree, and let me just tell you why. They're, the reason they say that is because this verse was given to the Jews who had been in captivity and God was telling them, he was promising them, look, I'm not going to leave you here. I'm going to return you to your homeland, to your promised land, to the place I gave you, to the fulfillment of my promises. I'm going to restore you. And then he gives them this promise. And yeah, so yeah, it was specific to a group of people in a particular time. But look, the Bible says that we are the sons of Abraham by a faith in Jesus Christ. The fact, I know what it's like to have been in uh, captivity. Depression is a lot like that. And I also know what it's like to hear the promise of God saying, I am not going to leave you here. And I'm going to restore and return you. I'm going to bless you. And then he says this, not just to them, but to us. For I know the thoughts I think toward you to give you a future and a hope. That's our God. He is the one who can get in there with us in those times when it, or in that, in that state where it feels like we're just under this, this weight this, of sorrow, sadness, darkness, and break it wide open and bring healing, not just coping, but healing to that part of our lives. This is recording number 11227 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, September 4, 2016. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Depression. The Secret Sorrow.